Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to today's episode. This episode is an encore of one that came out around the one-year mark of the podcast. So it's almost a year, a year and four months old, and it's the episode of learning how to teach people how to treat you. It's one of my all-time favorites, and I feel it's one of your all-time favorites, but given that it's such an old one, I feel like a lot of my new listeners might not have gone back and listened to that. And if you still want some advice on how to teach people how to treat you, then it's always going to benefit you to listen to it. Again, if you feel that you can get something more out of it the second time around. Now, I do have a brain fact in this episode that does go for quite some time. It's a, it goes for, I think, around eight minutes. So if you have already heard the brain fact or you just want to get straight into the episode, you can just go ahead and fast forward eight or so minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes, to get straight into the topic of the episode. I hope you guys enjoy and please share what you think about it in the Facebook group. Love you, beans. Okay, so today's episode is going to be about how to teach people how to treat you. Now, this is going to kind of cover pretty much all different aspects of it because it's going to cover the people that you actually don't really like, you don't really get along with, and you kind of want to set a bit of a boundary or some, you know, kind of like set some rules down on how you expect them to treat you and what you're not going to tolerate. So that works for people that you don't really like, maybe people that you're forced to, you know, work with possibly. But it's also going to work with people that you like. More importantly, you should use the skills that you learn from this for the people that you like. Because often you'll find yourself in a situation where you are, you know, you've got a relationship with someone that you do like. But it's kind of, it's not even, it's not an even playing field where you feel that they're not respecting you as much as you wished they did respect you or they don't treat you the same way that you would treat them, et cetera, et cetera. So this is really going to play into relationships, especially at the start of a relationship. You can really, I mean, you can do this whenever. It doesn't matter at what point in in your life or at what point in your relationship you're at, you can always reteach somebody how to treat you. However, if it's the very early stages of a relationship, this is the prime time to let someone know what you're willing to tolerate and not what you're not willing to tolerate. And you can do it in quite a calm, nice, kind way um, without being overly sweet and accommodating to them but without having to be harsh and you know brutal either it's just you setting the record straight you setting a standard you setting some boundaries you drawing that line and then people either respond positively or they disappear because there's no possibility for a negative response because you don't have time for their bullshit okay you just tap the fuck out so that is what I'm going to be talking about today what I do want to get into is talk about my brain fact first because We kind of covered this topic in neuroscience about a year ago, I think. Um, And I'd like to actually go kind of, we just touched on it the other day. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool, fun fact. I find that really interesting. So why not talk about it with you guys? So what I want to be talking about is um, synaptic pruning in the brain and what that means and the importance of it for our development. So what is synaptic pruning? Basically, it is your brain pruning back synapses. Now, what is a synapse? A synapse is a connection between two neurons. So you've got your neuron cells. We've got millions and millions and millions of neurons in our brain. And then we've got billions, possibly trillions of connections between those neurons because each neuron is sending off multiple, multiple, multiple connections to other cells. Okay. Now, 
the way the brain works through the developmental phase of a child, like when you're born, you're not born with many connections at all. That's obviously why with a newborn baby, there's not much they can do. They are the most helpless creatures on the earth. A human baby is the most helpless creature. They are 100% dependent, okay? Because most animals, mammals in particular, um, slash every animal really, is born with a set of skills that they can do shit. The, ba- the human baby is not. And the reason for this is because the, our, our brains have developed to such a crazy extent that the brains have had to grow and grow and grow in order to pack in all the neurons and the, you know, the surface area of the brain of the human is so wrinkly and it's got to be like really like tightly packed into the skull Um, And the brain continues to grow for us humans because we keep developing, okay? That's just evolution. The problem here is that the mother cannot birth anything much bigger than what a baby's head is, really. So that's why the baby cannot stay in the womb any longer and continue to develop because it could never be birthed and then both the baby and the mother would die, right? So it's got to be born at the time it's born. But the problem with that is because we've got such a complicated, convoluted brain, the baby is born 100% helpless, Other mammals have a much more simplified version of the brain as far as the structure and the setup. It's not as complicated. So they can have way more development within the womb before it's born. So they can be born and already have motor skills and they can walk and run on their first day on the earth alive. So it's pretty wild. Anyway, with humans, not the case. So what happens is that we're born, we don't have many synaptic connections at all. It's, you know, because the neurons are all well and good, but if they're not connecting to another neuron, they're pretty redundant, right? So it's kind of got minimal connections going on. In the next three to four years of its life, the brain is literally going haywire, creating as many possible connections as it can. It is going wild. Any kind of input that the baby is receiving, any sensory input and anything that the baby has learned, bang, that's a new connection. You can... So you've just got these wild amounts of connections in the brain. By the age of four, a baby has probably, or a toddler, has probably twice, roughly twice the amount of synapses that the adult brain has, okay? So the good thing about this is that that's a normal part of development. And it, you, the way you want to look at it is, you know, when you're brainstorming something, you don't try and come up with the perfect idea the first time. When you brainstorm, you throw everything down on that piece of paper, you, whether it's semi-relevant, maybe relevant, not really relevant, but it's helping you think of another, you throw it all down, you go nuts. This is this messy graph with everything you can imagine. And then you can just look at it being like, right, now what can I strip back to get my nice, clear, sharp idea or my sharp essay what, that I'm writing or whatever. That's kind of how the brain works. It throws down every possible connection and then it can look back and think, right, now what am I not really using? And then the brain can decide if it's going to you know, get rid of it or not. It's the whole use it or lose it mentality that the brain will always follow throughout the rest of your life. But it goes through this pruning. The pruning starts at around four years old and it goes into your teenage years, sometimes into early adulthood. But that's kind of the the timeline of pruning. And then from then onwards, your brain will always be pruning things. If it's not being used, it will get rid of it. But that's when like the main pruning phase happens between like early childhood to your teenage years. Now, how does it get rid of these, um, these connections? So your brain 
you've got all the neurons that I spoke about, but then you've got like for every one neuron, you've got 10 glial cells. Now glial cells are, you know, there's a whole range of different cells that make up what a glial cell is, but they're pretty much like, they're the scaffolding of the brain. They do, they do like immune support. They also do um, like, they're the alarm system. They're the ones that can recognize if something's going wrong. And of course they do the physical like scaffolding support of the neurons as well. So they do the background work while the neurons are the star of the show. Now, these glial cells, I'm not going to go into the details because you could get you can get so technical with this, but basically the glial cells send these signaling molecules to determine if a pathway is needed or not. And it kind of goes around scanning, scanning, scanning. Oh, that pathway is not really being used. That synapse, that specific connection, it's not being used. All right, let's let's get rid of it basically. So what happens is that there's a bit of an unknown mechanism that goes on here, but what they do know is that the synapse gets tagged with something called C3. It's called complement three. It's not really a complement like, hey, you're hot. They don't complement each other. This is like a chemical called C3. They tag it and that basically screams, eat me. When something's been tagged with C3, that C3 is now signaling, eat me, eat me. And then there's this other uh, microglia that comes in and basically it's called a phagocyte which is like a particular glial cell and it'll come in and it'll eat that connection. It literally eats it. It it will metabolize it, break it down in a healthy way and then it gets eliminated from the system, okay? So it doesn't cause any, you know, so basically there's the difference with cell death. There's two kinds of cell death. There's this one that we're talking about, which is like called apoptosis and it's basically programmed cell death. When that cell is supposed to die, this whole process occurs and the phagocytes come and eat it and eliminate it. It's perfect. It stays within a membrane so it doesn't um, damage the rest of the brain. And then you've got something which is called necrosis, which is um, cell death. It's not really, it's not a programmed cell death. It's where the cell just dies because it's maybe been exposed to toxins or maybe it's been exposed to extreme temperatures. And the problem with that is the cell breaks off in a way that it's not supposed to. And that's when it causes inflammation within the brain or lesions in the brain. So there's two completely separate ways that a cell can die. But this one is a really good way. Apoptosis, it's programmed suicide. It it knows that it's going to die and it basically dies. Really interesting. Now, this is the more interesting part. Abnormal pruning throughout your developmental years and I mean throughout your whole life, but it occurs mainly in your developmental years. Abnormal pruning could result in neurological disorders. So schizophrenia, for example, could be a result of too much pruning because there's a shortage of connections, right? And then if there's not enough pruning, so too little pruning leaves the brain with too many redundant connections. So then it makes it really confusing for the brain and then the brain becomes really inefficient, right? Because it's got to cater to all these connections when it should be catering to literally half of them. So when this happens, that could result in um, having your learning potential hindered. And so really interestingly, excessive synapses actually occur in autism spectrum disorder and in epilepsy as well. So we're starting to find a lot of disorders, some developmental, some that that people are born with, where it actually plays on are there too many synaptic connections or has there been way too much pruning and then you're going to have a disorder that way because there's just not enough connections. So it's that fine, you know, the, the brain is like this really specific, very intricate machine and if one thing goes wrong, all these other things can then go wrong from that. So I thought that was really interesting to 
tell you guys, obviously, if you don't find that interesting, you can always fast forward my science section, my fun brain facts of science. I just love it. I love it so much. Oh my God, I love science. Anyway, let's get into the topic of today, which is teach people how to treat you. I love this so much. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to break this topic down. I, you, you, you guys know me well enough now. I love to break things down. I love to write lists and I love to block things into different categories. So I'm going to be breaking this down, of course, into two main sections and then there'll be all these subcategories in those main sections. But the first thing with this topic, number one, I want you to learn how to understand who and what parameters you are working with so you can manage your expectations around what you should get. So it's all well and good to try and teach somebody how to treat you but if there's some sort of dud who has absolutely no interest of investing time in you then you need to understand how to kind of manage your expectations around that and kind of edit you can still you can still teach them how to treat you when you are associating with them or when you're having a conversation that's all well and good but you can't what you need to learn is that you can't make someone talk to you more make someone communicate more what you can do is if that person is choosing to be in your life you can make it very clear what you will and will not accept and they will reflect that, okay? So that's number one, understand what, who and what parameters you're working with. And then number two, I'm going to teach you how to set standards and guidelines so people can respond to that and you never even have to tell them. You, you barely have to tell them. Sometimes you might have to, but in general, people will see how you behave. They will see your energy. They're going to see how you carry yourself and they will instantly make a call. This person is way too difficult. They're vibrating at a much higher frequency than I am, so I need to run for the hills, which is perfect if you're trying to get rid of toxic people. Or B, I love this the energy that this person's giving giving off. I'm here for it. I'm here to stay. I'm going to resonate with that. I'm going to respect that so I can stay within that person's energy field. Okay. So those are the two potential outcomes when you teach somebody how to treat you. So let's break down number one, the first section. So we want to figure out how to avoid disappointment when it comes to what you get out of a relationship. Okay. The first thing that you need to do is you need to understand what someone else is capable of giving and that comes into manage your expectations and I, t- I tell this to you guys all the time, always manage your expectations around people. It's not to say that you need to set the bar super low and that you have to have the lowest expectations and everyone around you is a cooked lemon, not at all. But it's understanding based on the interaction that you have had with that person so far, what you can kind of predict the future of your relationship to be like. So obviously, if it's extremely early days in the relationship, you're not going to have much of a basis to, to, you know, to go off. But if you've known this person for a very long time, actions always speak louder than words and you can see, okay, your past actions are going to predict your future actions, right? That's what I mean about managing your expectations and understanding what someone else is capable of giving. If you are somebody who has a narcissistic parent in your life, you need to stop expecting anything more from what they've ever given you thus far. Unfortunately, that's just how it is. But that's where you'll find your happiness. When you take back the control and think, I need to stop putting destiny in your hands. I'll take that back. Thank you very much. Au revoir. Goodbye. And I don't need to expect anything more from you. So that's the first thing that I'm talking about. So it's you know, say you were dealing with, you know, because I did think about this when I was putting this podcast together, I was thinking, yeah, okay, you can teach people how to treat you, but you have to know what that person is capable of, right? And when it comes to narcissistic family members, 
there's you can maybe teach them where the boundaries are, right? That's pretty much as far as you can take it. But a narcissist can't really change who they are as a person. So that's what I mean where you need to learn where, where that person's limit of what they can give you is, okay? And another thing you want to ask yourself is always when you have an encounter with somebody, always ask yourself, what does this person want from the encounter? Because there's always something, right? There's always something. Whether it's because they genuinely love you and want to make your life better. There's always something. But what does this person want? Do they want attention? Do they want love? Do they want validation? Do they want distraction from boredom? Understanding what people want is going to help you become an infinitely better communicator, okay? So try and wrap your head around what does this person want? And sometimes we never ask ourselves these questions. And this is really common when you just start dating someone and you really want them to like you, but, you know, they're not really giving you the signs that they like you back. And sometimes you have to ask yourself that hard question of like, what do genuinely, based on this person's behaviors, what do they want from this, from this encounter or this relationship? And often, I mean, I could look back and admit from my experiences, we're so badly, I would never want to ask them, oh, are we something, are we something, are we not? Because it's like deep down I knew the answer. If Had I asked myself this question, I would know that that person, based on when they would contact me and how often they would contact me, what they wanted out of the encounter was maybe validation, attention and distraction from boredom. But that was about it, you know. They weren't looking for a real connection. They weren't looking for, you know, they weren't looking to make – um, someone else feel good. They just wanted those things to kind of pacify their boredom. And I happened to be that pacifier as we all have at one point in our lives. You know, I'm not, I'm not some victim here. We've all been in that situation. The next question you want to ask yourself is what is their intention? Because separate to what they're trying to get out of it, what is their intention? Are they trying to get validation because they're an asshole and they've already got a partner and they're just like, I think I mentioned this in my ghosting um, podcast. It's this idea of like a lot of the reason why people ghost is they've got a partner, but they just throw that net wide to see who's going to make them feel validated. Yep. Okay, cool. I got all this validation. Sever the ties. I'm good. Goodbye. You know, so what is their intention? Somebody might actually be a really, really sweet person, really kind, big heart, but they're just very insecure as well. And so they might seek validation but in a loving way like I I love you so much but I want you to I want to be validated right so it doesn't you know when you try and see what their intention is um they could be for example doing all those things that we just mentioned as far as like what does this person want from the encounter but what's their intention are they trying to be kind is this coming from a good place or are they being a certain way because they know they can get something out of you or does this person have a double agenda are they only really trying to be your friend because they're trying to date your mate are they only trying to be your friend so they can climb up the ladder in the company are they etc 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 so you're going to understand you've got to ask yourself these questions what do they want from the encounter and what are their intentions behind it Once you can understand that, basically we need to understand where someone is coming from for us to be able to get on their level and understand the inner workings of their mind. If you're not aware of this, then this is where we can misinterpret information and this is also when we can take personal offense when it's nothing aimed at you but more a reflection of themselves. And I'm not saying you've got to get a degree in psychology and psychiatry and learn how to read someone. No, I'm talking about obvious, basic cues that that person is giving you now many times 
you're going to miss the cues because the cues are subtle and that's normal. We do it all the time. You can't pick up every single cue all the time. But there's going to be certain things like, you know, if you really like someone, but the truth of the matter is they only message you on the day that you're actually supposed to be meeting up and they don't message you every other day in between. Chances are it's a booty call for them. Chances are they're not actually that into you, right? They might be, but I'd say 95% chance they're not, okay? Um, if you are with somebody who's only ever nice to you when they need a favor back, chances are that they have some sort of a narcissistic personality disorder. They're only engaging with people because they want something in return. You know, so there's a million different things that you can see in people's behavior and in patterns of their behavior. So you can already determine what to expect from that person, okay? So before you even go teaching somebody how to treat you, learn what you can expect. So that way you can determine how much energy you're going to put into this or how little energy you're going to put into this. Now, the reason for me just telling you all of that is because now that I'm going to go into section two of, you know, how to teach people how to treat you, I want you to, you know, keep all of that in mind because you might be in a situation where you really want someone to treat you better. But then after asking yourself those questions, instead of teaching that person how to treat you better, maybe instead you should really manage your expectations around that person and keep them at a far, far Oh, distance so they're a tiny tiny speck in the distance so you don't have to deal with them do you know what I mean like there are going to be people in your life that this will never work so your choice is then I need to make sure that they don't stay in my life narcissists are a big one and go back and listen to my narcissist podcast if you're not sure but basically that's what I want you to determine first and foremost because you could still be somebody who has a really good you know self-respect and you've, you've done all, everything and you're still going to have some narcissist asshole treat you like shit and then be like but I thought I was doing all this stuff no still learn how to read people so you can manage your expectations around them and around how they're probably going to behave towards you Right, now, number two, we're going to go into um, how to set some standards and guidelines. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to understand that you cannot, like I said, you cannot control someone else's actions, feelings, or thoughts. So when I say you teach people how to treat you, I am basically saying that you let them know what you will and will not accept. There's no blurred lines. It's black and white. You make it clear what won't fly with you and what you will respond well to. It is then completely up to them if they're going to positively respond or not. And when they don't, you don't cater to them. If that person doesn't want to respect your boundaries or doesn't want to respect you in a way that you should or you deserve to be respected, then it's just not an encounter that's going to be successful. You have to let that one go. Too bad, so sad, there's another door that will open very quickly for you there's another relationship there's another connection that will be there but if someone doesn't want to meet you in the middle as far as respecting you meet you at that you know standard that you've set there's two options you either drop the standard and allow them to treat you like shit option number one or option number two you don't allow this connection to go any further that's your call it's 100% your call but if you drop that standard then you're not teaching people how to treat you are you no Okay, so how are people going to learn? How do you learn how to treat somebody? People learn to treat others by how they see you treat yourself, what they see you accept from others. So that way there can be no double standards. Now, you cannot create a double standard. If you're going to have one standard for one person, that standard has to be across the board, you know, because it gets reflected in your energy. Energy is everywhere and people pick up on that shit. If you're letting yourself get treated like shit by your partner, 
I can guarantee you whether you realize it or not, it's going to seep through in other areas of your life and you're going to start allowing someone else to treat you like shit. Someone else is going to slip through the cracks. Someone, You have to be across the board a standard for everybody of how people are going to treat you. There's a line and people do not cross that line, okay? And you are clear about that. You're better off being alone than having people on the other side of that line. Any day of the week, I can guarantee you that. They also learn to treat you by paying attention to your language and how positive or negative you are about yourself. So your self-talk and your self-narratives, how you describe yourself, how you talk about yourself, okay? So that's what they're going to, you know especially if there's someone quite toxic, they're going to read, even if they're not toxic. If someone's always putting themselves down, constantly putting themselves down, they're like, that person's an easy target. So I might not be a toxic person, but I might be insecure. And then I meet someone who's an easy target. Brilliant. Okay, now that person can be the target of the jokes. So the jokes are not on me, right? And that's what happens with a lot of relationships where the person's not trying to be mean, but ends up treating their friend or their partner in a way that's not really that nice. They probably just don't realize it. Another way is when they see you being more self-assured and assertive, okay? The more indecisive you are and the more apologetic you are, the more people see you as like some unstable doormat. Like if you're going to be a doormat, at least be a stable one. But here they're like, look at this person, always apologizing for everything. They always must think that they're wrong. They always must think that they've done something wrong and they are always catering to other people even when it should be like a, um, an even ground when it should be 50-50, they're the ones being like, oh, no, you were right. Oh, no, this. Oh, no, that. Instead of being like, oh, okay, we can agree to disagree. Oh, okay, I respect your decision, but I still hold mine. You know, certain things like that. And, you know, when I talk about indecisiveness, if you're constantly like, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, no, um, no, I actually changed. My- oh, I actually don't know. I don't know. Indecisiveness comes across as you know, I can't make the, you know, you can't make the decision. So I'll make the decision for you. And that's where people then walk all over you because you don't stand your ground. You're like, no, I've made a decision. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. If you don't do that, not only will people pull you in every direction, left, right and center, but then when it comes to making decisions about your own life, then the people around you who are close to you and who think that they have your best interest at heart are going to be telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing with your life. I'm talking career, people that you date, what you do with your spare time, what clothes you're going to buy, what car you buy, what you do with your money. This is your business. And if you'd come across as being indecisive in every every area of your life, people, well-meaning people think that person can't make a decision. I'll make a decision for her. You know, that's what they're going to think. And that is where you need to really start teaching people how to treat you. If you're in a situation where your family is really always trying to get you to do what they want you to do, or your parents have always tried, or your friends or your partner, this is where you need to start drawing some lines. And this is how you need to start changing your behavior. Become more decisive. If you're not sure, you don't have to sit there and say, um, um, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know. What you can say is like, you know what? I'm going to sit on this and think about it. I'll let you know. That's a good thing. You know, that, that's a great answer. If you're not sure, don't say, oh, look, I don't, oh, yeah, true. You're right. Just say, leave it with me. I'm going to think about it. I'll let you know by bang and you give them a day. By tomorrow, I'll let you know. I'll give you an answer. So I'm not saying you have to change who you are innately overnight. You can still be indecisive, but change your language around your indecisiveness. Don't make it look like you're kind of unsure about any potential option, Okay. And the same goes for when you're constantly apologizing. Stop apologizing all the time. Start thanking people instead, you know. 
that whole thing. I think there was this whole thing on TikTok that was out, you know, instead of saying, sorry for being late, say thank you so much for waiting for me. Things like that. Like how can you change your language um, around that so people see you as a stronger energy, you know, that they can either connect with or not. Now, another really good way of teaching someone how to treat you is how strong you are with your words and your ability to keep your cool. If you can keep your cool, whether people realize it or not, that's when you are in control. That's when you are always in control of yourself and your emotions. And somebody that's always in control of themselves and their emotions, at least in public, is a very strong character. That's a very strong character. Someone who's standing there screaming and yelling and being abusive and rah, throwing their weight around, they might be intimidating, but they've lost their cool. And the moment you lose your cool, you, you stop appearing as this strong character. You've lost control. You are now in a weak state where you can then be attacked by either another weak, angry person who's going to come in and that's where everything like shit hits the fan because no one's got their head screwed on at that time. But if you can keep your cool and you don't blow up and you don't get angry, it means that you can listen, you can reason, you can respond and you're not going to forget what you said because you didn't lose your cool. So if someone's dealing with you and they're trying to get you angry, trying to get you angry and you're sitting there being like, I don't care what you do, I'm not going to lose my cool because I might not be able to control you but I can control myself and my emotions and I'm going to sit here and watch you until you decide to calm down and then I'll respond. People are intimidated by that. People that are weak, people that try and manipulate others, try and get you by blowing up if they can get you to a point where you explode bang they've got you where, where they want you okay my ex used to do that to me all the time he'd be blowing up blowing up blowing up till I get so uncomfortable and then I'd explode I'd explode and then he had me where he wanted me then he could be like you're a psycho you're this you're that you say I'm crazy look at you blah, blah, blah. okay so a huge way of commanding respect. You don't demand respect, you command respect. And a huge way of doing that is by keeping your cool. You never character assassinate. You never, you kind of think, how would I like to be treated? Now I'm going to reflect that twofold, you know. So if I would never want someone to say mean things to me, I'm going to make sure I always respect this person. I'm going to make sure I never lose my cool. I'm never angry at them. I never try and scare them. But instead, I'm going to show that I'm a very strong presence of energy and I'm going to sit there and be calm and be measured when I say what I have to say and that way you can be sassy as fuck but you're not evil you're not character assassinating and you're not trying to scare somebody okay you can just be really witty and clever with your responses that's infinitely better something else that I'd like you to do is I want you to be okay with not everybody loving you when someone is okay with not everybody loving them, that is a strong fucking energy. That's big dick energy. And I'm not talking about being a wanker, treating people like shit and not caring about the repercussions. I'm talking about I'm going to sit here in my truth being who I am and if you're, if you're trying to manipulate me, I'm going to say no. And then if you threaten by being like, well, then you don't get me, I'm going to say, okay, goodbye. That's what I mean about not worrying if people like you or not. If someone tries to manipulate you, and you say, mm, not for me, I'm not interested in this encounter. Thank you. Keep your cool, not interested, goodbye. That shows massive strength. That's big energy. That's a strong, strong energy. And then not only does that person read that and then they can choose if they want to change their behavior, but then other people around you are going to start picking up on that energy. This person is prepared to let go of the people that treat them like shit, right? That's strong. 
So what I want you to do is you got to start becoming less attached to the people that you think you want in your life, okay? Because often we'll pinpoint somebody that we want in our lives. I'm going to use dating as an example because it's, it's very common in the dating scene. But often you'll find someone that you really like, right? Like you really like them and you're just not sure if they like you back. Like they'll message you when it's convenient for them. But when you hang out, it's really good. Um, and, you know, when, when it's good, it's good. But when it's bad, it's bad. And you'll come up with all these reasons, all these excuses as to why it's probably still a good encounter. But the problem is you're now really attached to having that person in your life. You're attached to the idea that that particular person has to be in your life. The issue here is that you are then, you know, willing to forego certain things like how you will be treated, what you're willing to tolerate in order to keep that person in your life. You need to become less attached to the people that are not serving you or your greater good. You need to become less attached to that in order for people to respect you in general. And people will start to respect you. Now, what you need to do instead is when you're in love with somebody, stop being in love with them. Be in love with their traits. So what you want to do is you want to break down all the things that you like about this person. Like, I really like how driven they were. I really like this. I really You get a whole list of their traits. Then you want to put out on a vision board or you want to seek it out. You're like, I'm going to find people with those traits, okay? I don't need you in my life because I'm aware that there are many people in this world that possess those traits, traits that you possess. But I don't need to waste my time with you because we are not working out. And if I try and bring you into my life and allow you to just have me over every Wednesday night and then not text me for the rest of the week, then... That is eating my soul and I need to protect myself. I need to be a little bit kinder to myself and stop exposing myself to these people that treat me like, you know, a 10th option when that's not really what I want, when I'm treating you as my first option. So from now on, I'm going to take the traits that I find admirable in you. I'm going to fucking push you to the curb and then focus on finding those traits in somebody that will respect me and my time the way I respect them. Does that make sense? Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you specific examples of um, what you can do in situations where you need to teach somebody how to treat you moving forward. Because in general, the reason that you've got to do these things is often something will crop up within the relationship that you'll be like... I don't want that to happen again. So I now need to make a call. Am I going to just lay down and cop it? Or am I going to do something to make that person aware that this will not fly with me and in order for us to progress, this needs to be rectified, okay? So that's what you you always have to make that decision and this can happen at any stage in any relationship. But often it happens early on when you just meet somebody. That's one of the best times to intercept it. But like I said, you can change it at any time. You can always tell somebody, I know you've treated me like this for the last 10 years, but it stops today. So you can choose to stop and still be in my life or you can choose to just leave my life altogether. So you can still do that, right? There's no, I don't care how, I don't care if they're your parent. If someone's treating you like shit, they are gone. Goodbye. Nobody, nobody has a golden ticket into your life. Nobody has a golden ticket into your life. People are privileged to have a position in somebody else's life. You right now, the people that are in your life, you are privileged to be part of their life. And the reason that you hold that position is probably, hopefully, because you treat them well and they see it as worthy. They see it as worth it having you in their life. It goes the other way around, okay? 
I don't care if they're blood relatives. I don't care if you've been married forever. I don't care. If someone treats you like shit, they don't deserve to be in your life. End of story. Okay, great. Great. Now that that's clear in all of our heads and now that you're aware of that and you can make some culls in your life, let's um, go through some examples. So I'm going to give you some scenarios and I'm going to give you what I would personally do and what I'd probably recommend people do in these situations to teach people how to treat you moving forward from that moment. So the first one is getting cut off. So you know when you're having a conversation, we've all got those friends, even if they're great friends, even if they're best friends, it doesn't matter, who will always cut you off to talk about something completely irrelevant, like totally irrelevant. I'm talking like something that's got nothing to do with what's going on and they cut you off to mention this. What that means, if someone, let's say you're having like a really crazy discussion and someone's butting in to bring in something relevant to the conversation. I'm not talking about that. That happens with everyone. That's when you're heated and you're both engaged in the conversation. So I'm not too fussed about that. That's a little bit annoying, but it's fine because it shows that that person's super interested in what you're saying. I'm talking about like, I've got a friend, love her so much, love her so much. She doesn't do this anymore because I've taught her to not do it, right? But this is what she used to do. We'd be talking and I'd be telling her like something that's meaningful and important to me. And she'd be like, oh my God, oh my God. And then she'd literally talk about something about a star sign. And I'm like, what? And then she'd be like, no, no, sorry. I just had to say it. And then she'd be like, sorry, what were you saying? And to me, okay, she cut me off, fine, whatever. But what that means is you weren't listening to what I was saying. That's what it means. It doesn't like, I'm not that offended that you cut me off. I'm just taking meaning from this situation. And the situation is you really were not listening to what I was saying at all. If your mind has wandered that far that you're going to pull something that's completely out of the realm of what I was talking about to cut me off and mention it. Okay. That means that you just weren't listening. So what I would do is I just would stop. And she was like, no, what were you saying? And I'd be like, no, nothing. It doesn't matter. No, 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 please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, no, but I'm done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm over it. I'm done. So then it, it ends the conversation awkwardly. It's fucking awkward. And then you're just like, oh, okay. And then you now have to wait for something new to talk about. And I wouldn't bring it up. I'd let her to bring up the next conversation because I'm done with this one. I'm not going to continue. Do you think she does this to me anymore? Not at all. And I fucking love her. She's like, I fucking love her. But does she do it to me anymore? No, she doesn't. She stopped doing it months ago because she literally, these moments became quite memorable in her mind. She's like, wow, I'm not going to do that again. That's cooked. So she doesn't do it anymore. She's never done it. Like she did it a couple of times and she doesn't do it anymore because literally it's too awkward to do it. So I don't know if she does it to other people, not my problem, but she doesn't do it to me. So that has fixed that problem very quickly. The next one is when you are talking to somebody and someone just looks at their phone while you're telling them something, like I'm talking about they just open their phone and start scrolling while you're telling them something or they get a text message and they find that a text message from somebody else is more urgent than a conversation with someone in person. That pisses me off because, and I've mentioned this in my other podcasts, if someone is sending, if, like if someone sends me a message and I'm talking to someone, I will literally say to them, I'm so sorry, this is urgent, pause, I want to hear what you're saying, I just have to reply to this quickly. I don't have a problem with that because they're saying, I'm listening to you, I want to listen, but I've got this urgent message to reply to. That's fine. The issue is when you're talking and they take the liberty to just look down. That's fucking rude and people do that, okay? So what I do, there's two things you could do. You could either stop talking altogether and then they realize eventually 
and then they put their phone away and they're like, oh, what, sorry? And you can either continue or you can say, I'm done, like I did in the previous one. Or if they do it, you can just say, you can, you can pull them up on it straight away. What I do is I'll say, listen, I'm not sure if you're listening or not, but I've heard this story already. I know this story. So I'd, I'd rather not tell myself the same story because it looks like I'm the only one listening here to myself, so I've got better things to do. And then they're obviously going to listen or not, and then that just tells you how engaged they were in the first place. Now, if you're dealing with someone who's possessive, now let's let's say that you started dating somebody and you see that they've got a problem with the fact that you want to hang out with your friends or the fact that you want to own your own time and you, you know, and they're trying to own what you do. Where are you? Why were you here? Why this? Why that? That's toxic. You know, let's give somebody, in my opinion, that's a fucking red flag. However, I'm always for giving people a chance within reason, but give them a chance. There's the chance that this person maybe has always been in toxic relationships and they've never been pulled up on it and they think that behavior is normal. Okay, fine, we give them a chance. So if they're being super possessive, then your response to that, your response to that situation would be you'd pull them up on on it and say, is this going to be a problem? Because I can compromise on certain things in a relationship, but when it comes to my social life, that's non-negotiable. Or when it comes to owning my own time, that's a non-negotiable. And you fucking hit them between the eyes with it. They have to answer you in that moment. They've got to instantly reflect on what they just said to you. And if they're toxic, they will find every excuse under the sun as to why that behavior is appropriate, why controlling behavior is appropriate. There's your answer. Walk away. Walk away. You can't change that person. If they're normal, they'll be like, whoa, this is embarrassing. I'm so sorry. Um, wow. Yes. Yeah, sorry. You're right. I yeah, and they'll come up with an apology, maybe an excuse, but you can tell if they want to rectify the problem or if they're like set in stone. I can guarantee you one thing right now. If you're in a situation where somebody is justifying their behavior for being possessive, they will get worse and worse and worse because that is that person in their best light. When you start dating someone, that is them on their best behavior, their best. They're not going to get better than that. They're not going to show you their shitty side. They show you their best side. So if they're doing this now, imagine the situation that you're going to be in in 12 months, in three years. You'll be fucked. I'm telling you now. Now, here's another example of a toxic situation in a a relationship. When people, when your partner tries to cause drama because you didn't answer the phone or text back immediately in what they deem as an appropriate time frame to text back. I'm not talking about, I'm I'm about to address people that take a day or two days to text back. This is different. I'm talking about those partners that are like, why didn't you call me back? Why didn't you text back? I saw that you were online. Why, why, why? Those people, those couples, you know, that you, you literally leave it for an hour and they're losing their marbles wherever the fuck they are. They're losing their mind. They can't focus, okay? I'm talking about those situations. When that happens, the first thing that you do is you do not apologize The moment you apologize for something that you're genuinely not sorry for, you give them the right of reason. You don't do that. You only apologize when you want to apologize, when you've actually fucked up. Do not apologize for something that you know is not wrong, okay? That's the worst thing you can do because then you start saying, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm going to bow down to you, you toxic lemon, okay? So your response will be, remember, you don't apologize. You just say to them, I obviously wasn't with my phone at the time or I was talking to somebody and I didn't want to, you know, break my focus and I thought I'd call you back after. And you were chill. And then you change the topic. You act like as if it's not a big deal, okay, because it's not a big deal. And then you change the topic. If they try and make an argument about it, 
You sit back and you watch them. You let them say everything they have to say, whether it's toxic or not. You observe. You sit back and observe. Like I said earlier, you keep your cool. You watch them unfold. Are they going to work themselves up? Are they going to get angry? It's incredible the conversations that toxic people have with themselves when they're screaming at you. It's quite fascinating. It's like watching a fucking circus show, right? They literally start jing themselves up and they, they're literally like my ex used to do this I'd watch him and he'd have like an argument with himself and I just wouldn't talk and he'd be like and and he'd leave in a car and, and he'd just be going crazy so that's what you're going to do you're going to sit and watch them and you hear them you listen to all their arguments and all their excuses watch them and then at the end of all of that you then say to them okay I've listened to you I've heard what you have to say I still disagree with you because X, Y, Z, and you give your reasons why you don't think you have to answer the phone every single time because you actually have a life. Um, And then if they've got a problem still, just say, I see this is something where we both disagree on heavily. Is this going to be a deal breaker for us? Put the question in their hands because you've made it clear that you're not going to waver. Now it's up to them. Are they going to change or not? Because you've made it clear that you're not going to. You keep your cool. And I'm telling you right now, if they don't want to change, then you have the option. You either leave them or you stay in a toxic relationship where you are being manipulated and you are being made to play small. It is your choice, okay? Ultimately, it's your choice. But if you bow down and allow that, you that starts the ripple effect of allowing all this toxic behavior. This is only just the start. If they can get you on this where they own your time and they own you and you have to be fearful every time they call, fuck, 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 I've got to answer. Sorry, I've got to answer this. I've got to reply straight away. Or they're going to blow up at me. That's very, very toxic, emotionally abusive behavior. So if you allow that, if they can win on something like that, they can win on anything, anything. Now we're going to talk about when you're dating someone and you're not sure if they're interested because like, You've started seeing each other when you're together. This this kind of bleeds into a little bit of the ghosting one, but it's not really ghosting here at all. So, you know, it's they're not like fully ghosting you, but they're those people that you're dating them. It's really good when you're together. Some days the text message back and forth is great, but then they'll go ages without messaging you back. And you know that it's not an even playing field because you always respond in a timely manner, as in within a few hours of them messaging, especially if it's a question. But they will take ages to respond, like over a day. Even if you've asked a question in the last message, they might respond the next day or, or, you know, two days later or something. Like, what do you do in that situation? Because you're there thinking like, I kind of like this person. It looks like this person likes me, but I don't know where the fuck I stand because when we're together, it's amazing. But then he or she or they will not message back after, you know, I send them a question. So this is what you're going to do. The next time you see them, you mention it. You just mention it. Don't get angry. You don't have to turn it into a conversation if you don't want to. But you can mention saying, I've noticed that you're not a great communicator with me. You always take over a day to reply to the text message. Is that normal for you? And don't, don't, be, don't be like a sarcastic asshole. Genuinely say, is that normal? Are you like that all the time with all your other friends? And let them say. The thing is, when they give you your excuse, don't argue. Let them say any excuse under the sun. The point of you bringing it up is not to have a conversation or a debate about it now. The point of you bringing it up is to let them know that you are aware and that you, this is not normal for you. For you, people treat you how you treat them in your, in your normal life. If you're going to reply 
to a question within the next few hours when you're seeing someone or with your friends or family, you expect the same in return, okay? So that the point of you bringing it up, you doesn't matter what excuse they give you. I don't care. It could be great. It could be shit. Who cares? You've already served your purpose. You've said, I now want you to be aware that this is not normal for me and this is not going to fly for much longer without saying those exact words, okay? So once that happens, they're now aware. The next time they do it, and let's say they take like, you know, a day to reply and then they leave you on red, you're going to leave it. If they left you on red and replied days later, you leave it. So unless they reply with some incredible excuse, you just leave it. If they replied saying, sorry, I didn't reply, I was busy, that doesn't cut it. That's not worth your time replying. If you reply, even if you're angry, even if you're not angry, it doesn't matter. It shows that you are allowing that behavior after you've raised the issue. It shows that you're allowing the behavior. If they want you in their life, they know where to find you. Trust me, your message was clear. Your actions are clear. If you've never left them on read before, if you've always shown interest, if you've always responded to their questions and always, you know, said yes to a date or initiated dates, they, trust me, they're not dumb. They know that you like them. They're aware of where they stand and they know that if they were to reach out, you would be, you would be interested in seeing them. You would want to reply. So you leave it. Don't reply because that teaches them I don't have time for this bullshit. If they then never reply again, they never liked you. Trust me. They weren't confused. They weren't like, oh, now that person's cut me off. I don't know. What no, 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 no. They never liked you in the first place. If they don't reply to that, if they don't hit you up a second time after they've left you on red for over a day or two and then hit back with a fucked excuse and then you don't reply, trust me. If they then don't reach out a second time, they're just not that into you. They're just not that into you and that was an easy escape for them. And your response to that is good riddance. Bon fucking voyage. You did me a favor and you exited my life so I didn't have to remove you from my life. You lemon, okay? So I know it's hard. But trust me, you save yourself so much time. You save yourself so much time. You need to be a little bit more ruthless to the idiots that are wasting your time and you need to respect yourself way more to be like, do I need to put up with this shit? No, you don't. Because I can guarantee you, if you're kind to yourself, you're going to value your own time and you're going to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm actually having a better time alone, single, than dealing with this garbage. I don't have time for this shit, nor am I interested. And trust me, you're not the fucking... Prince of Arabia, that I should feel blessed that you sent me a message two days later. Okay? Get off your fucking high horse. Treat people like normally. And if you're not going to treat people normally, I don't need you in my life. If you're not going to reciprocate the respect, then I don't need you in my life. It's that simple. No hate, no anger, but I'm done. I'm finished. Okay? That's what you need to do in these situations. You teach people how to treat you. Now, on the, on the flip side of that, if they like you, and you and they hit back with a dumb excuse and you didn't reply, they're going to go ping and the alarm's going to go off in their head. They're going to be like, fuck, 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 fuck. They brought this up to me. They mentioned that they that thought it was weird. Obviously, they're not used to being treated like, you know, a 10th option. I now need to rectify this because I'm now aware that they don't like that. And now they're sending clear signals that my dumb excuse was actually dumb and they don't need to reply to that. Okay, they then going to reach out to you again. I can guarantee you if they like you, they'll send another message being like, hey, sorry, do you want to meet up? Or hey, sorry, 
I know you said that you didn't, you know, that you didn't appreciate that I took so long to reply. Let me make it up to you. A hundred percent, they're going to reach out. They're not done. Unless you're dating like the biggest dud in the world, in which case, be gone. Then they will realize what's gone down and they will rectify the problem. Okay. Because it's gotten to a point where, trust me, your actions have been clear. We, as in you, me, people in general, we have this habit of making excuses for other people's behavior. And one of the main excuses that people do when it comes to dating is, oh, maybe I wasn't clear enough. You were clear enough. Trust me, you were clear enough. Don't think, oh, maybe maybe they thought that I'm annoyed. Maybe they thought this. Maybe I need to message them again for the 10th time again and let them know, no, 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 no. Grow a spine, understand that your actions were clear, back yourself and sit back and chill, chill. And that's when people start to respect you and respect your time. And if they don't respect you, do you want them in your life? No. Good Bye, okay? One more, I'm going to give you one more example. If someone always puts you down, especially in public, like you know where, where they use you as the butterfly jokes, okay? Don't react. Literally stare at them. Make it awkward. And they're going to be like, oh, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. And then you can respond. I would say, well, I'm glad at least you found it funny. Make it clear that it's not a joke to you. Make it awkward. You don't have to... You know, you don't have to appease everyone in the situation by being friendly. Oh, I just don't want it to be awkward for the other people. Let it be awkward for the other people. Who are you? You're not some fucking martyr. If someone's made you feel uncomfortable and said something inappropriate and the only reason you pretend to laugh is so the other people don't feel uncomfortable, trust me, they'll survive. They can live with being uncomfortable watching an awkward situation unfold. They will be okay. They're not going to die, okay? But if someone treats you poorly around other people, don't laugh if you don't want to laugh if it's not funny and if it's insulting stare at them and they're, they're gonna squirm they're going to squirm okay and then once you've left that and then that's it you leave it you change the subject whatever once you've left that you say to them you give them an ultimatum okay you say you do that to me again and I'm going to stop hanging out with you I'm going to stop going to social events with you because I find that extremely uncomfortable now so that that's what I'm that's the excuse now I just want to finish with one thing ultimatums. I think I need to do an entire podcast on ultimatums. People have painted the word ultimatum with this like bad light, you know, it's like this negative thing now. Oh, are you giving me an ultimatum? Can I just ask what is so bad about an ultimatum? Yes, cunt, I'm giving you an ultimatum. You're treating me like shit and I'm telling you, you either treat me well and we stay together or you continue to treat me like shit and I leave. Yes, it's an ultimatum. I don't understand what's so wrong about that. I'm giving you a choice, okay? I'm not saying gun to your head, you're going to start treating me this way. I'm giving you a choice and that happens to be an ultimatum. There is nothing wrong with ultimatums. I fucking love an ultimatum. People that feel attacked who are the attacker will call you out for being like, is this an ultimatum? And you stare at them and you say, yes, it is an ultimatum. What's your point? Obviously, it's an ultimatum. Everyone does ultimatums their whole life, whether they realize it or not. It's a choice. You give someone a choice. If someone was slapping you across the face all the time, would you not give them an ultimatum? Stop slapping me, otherwise I leave. That's an ultimatum. You know, you do it all the time in your life. But then when someone, especially a toxic person, when a toxic person feels called out, they will hit you with, you're giving me, why are you giving me an ultimatum? Oh, you're giving me an ultimatum? Oh, as if it's a bad thing. 
You're going to fucking own that ultimatum and you're going to start to act like as if it's the best thing that ever happened to you. They're the best fucking things you can do. And if someone's trying to make you feel bad for giving them one, then that there is your answer. That's your answer right there. If they don't look at it being like, oh, this person's giving me a choice. I now have a decision to make. Am I going to be toxic or not? That's my choice. I can now grow or not. If they don't see it that way and they're like, oh, get all defensive, you're giving me an ultimatum. They're saying, why are you putting conditions on my toxic behavior? Why can't I just be toxic unconditionally? Why, why, why? Poor me, poor me. Let me be toxic because I want something. And now that you and that now exercising your rights of what you want, it's not fair. That's exactly what they're saying. They're saying, why are you putting conditions on my toxic behavior? Let me just be toxic all the time. That's what they're saying. Okay. So the next time somebody brings up, why are you giving me an ultimatum? Just say, because it's fucking natural and an ultimatum is fucking healthy. Okay? End of story. Guys, that is it for today. I'm going to wrap it up. This is this podcast has gone for like 55 minutes. I think I normally go for 50. Oh, fuck it. Good times. We're all here for a good time. Um, guys, thank you so much. I hope that you can take something from this. If you are really struggling with this whole how to teach people how to treat you, especially with the responses when people say things to you. Refer back to my Dealing with Unsolicited Comments podcast and that ties in quite well with this one because it gives you like I actually give specific word-for-word answers on like 30 or 40 things that people might say to you in an unsolicited way to put you down and you can kind of hit back with those. Those are really good to teach people how to treat you because after you give those responses that I – give as examples in that podcast, um, then you're really able to um, teach them that they, they, they're not going to get away with those phrases or those statements to you, at least to you ever again. Okay. So hopefully you found this useful and helpful. Um, share it as you guys do. Please keep sharing. Could you also please continue to rate and review it on um, Spotify or Apple Podcasts? That also helps me massively to reach more people. So I do appreciate all you guys for sharing it with other people. You guys are like my my beans of life that do a lot of the the um the spreading the awareness of the podcast work for me. So I appreciate you so much. I love you all so much. We're like a beautiful family. I love us and I love the community on the Facebook group. Guys, massive love to you all. Remember, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anybody and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke!